Welcome to Finding Hope, The End to Suffering. Hosted by psychologist, author, and co-founder of the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership, Dr. Barry Weinhold, with national radio host, award-winning producer, and inspirational speaker, Patricia Raskin. Hi, Barry. Hi, Patricia. How are you? Welcome good. back. Yeah, Hope you had a good week. Good. And uh, good. Welcome good. back to Finding Hope, the End to Suffering, created yeah. by Barry Weinhold. And, uh, you know, based on your many, many years of experience and work and over 60 plus books and working with thousands of people, you decided to bring this to the media. And yeah. And we had we had a good response to the first uh, series with Susan Blue. I forgot to mention that. Good. We're, I'm looking forward to good interview here with Rafa Flores, who's uh, uh, going to tell us about his life and the suffering that he's had to endure and what he's done about that and how he's uh, found ways to uh, uh, move himself out of to the end of suffering and into uh, much hope and, and much uh, positive uh, experience. So let's bring Rafa. Hi, Rafa. Hi, Rafa. Good to see you. Hello, everybody. Yeah. And um, so I, I mentioned, I think, to you, and I didn't mention to the rest of you, that we have sort of four key questions that we start our guests off with. And the first one is, like, what happened to you uh, that caused you suffering in your life? And like, you can go back as early as you want to as uh, in in telling us about that. And sometimes at the time you didn't know you were suffering, but as you reflected on that later, you saw that, boy, that, that really had, that hit me pretty hard and I had long-term effects from that. So that, that'd be the kind of stuff I'd want to hear from you about that. And then about the effect it had maybe long-term, short-term and long-term effect that you were, became aware of eventually. And then the third one is, well, what did you do about that? How'd you make sense out of all that? And then finally, about what did you do then to uh, bring yourself to the end of suffering? What kinds of things did you find worked for you as you tried to overcome the effects, the long-term effects from some of your early childhood experiences? So that's sort of the framework we're going with uh, uh, in the, the series of three uh, different segments of this interview. So let's start with uh, what happened to you uh, and that you see now caused you suffering in your life? Well, that's definitely an, uh, a fun question to pose um, because growing up, I didn't think there was anything wrong with my life. It was just a normal life to live and uh, grow up in a large family, be forgotten or left behind at the grocery store. Say a little bit or, about your family. What, what, how, how large was it and what was a little bit about the family? So there, there were eight ch children. I have four older sisters, two younger brothers, and a younger sister. So I'm number five. There was actually a pregnancy between myself and my uh, sister, just older than, than myself. Uh -huh. But um, so, yeah, in a big family, it's, uh, you know, not near as organized as one would see on TV or imagine as one on TV. I mean, we're all 
in it every single day from uh, early in the morning to late at night fighting over water and shower and uh you know mirror time and bathroom time and it's just uh, it's just a fun way to grow up but in my life um i really didn't ex think there was anything wrong with uh the way i grew up there were a few key elements growing up that um you know ended up being uh problematic and uh, they stemmed from different pivot points in my life um you know essentially the first major pivot point um that I can recall was um, kind of a fishing trip when I was when my my dad and the three boys that's that's what they called us the three boys um, my dad had taken us fishing and my dad wasn't a fisherman and didn't have much experience with it and it really bothered me that the salesman at the sports store at the, at the hardware store was selling my dad equipment that, um, you know, we didn't need anything more than cane poles at that time and at that age. But he ended up selling him a bait casting reel for us. And a bait casting reel for anybody who doesn't fish is a, is a hard reel to master, right? Anyway, that whole thing left me quite uncomfortable. We went fishing. We tried to use these bait casting reels without really knowing how to use them. We got big old bird nests every single time we cast and we spent the whole trip untangling our, our uh, reels. We didn't get much fishing done and it was very frustrating. And, um, you know, dad was upset with being with us being frustrated as kids because he wanted to show us a good time. Right. And so we, put the fishing poles back in the car. And so dad rolls up the window and he snaps the tips off of all the rods because they were sticking out the window. And I just remember feeling so bad about that. And I said to myself, um, you know what? I'm not going to be doing stuff like that. I'm going to learn. I'm going to understand before we buy anything like this again. And how old were you about that time? Gosh, we were young. I want to say maybe seven, maybe eight. Mm -hmm. uh, and I was the oldest boy. So my younger brothers are a year behind me. So I was born um, in March. My next brother was born July of the following year. And then my next brother was born September of that following year. So that was quite a handful, um, three boys that, that close in age. And uh, I tell you what, that was an expensive food bill when all three of us were teenagers. Right. Well, tell me <laughs> how you got along with your mother and your father growing up. Uh, for the most part, um, my dad was uh, uh, working a lot and um, my mom was busy doing her things and the three boys were basically entertaining each other and uh, running around the neighborhood and uh, running outside. My mom had a, a 
a, a drain put in the sidewalk in or the apron around the house in the in our in our backyard and we would get so dirty during the day that she would just um, uh, line us all up and then spray us off with a with the water hose to, to knock all the dirt off our clothes and and mud and everything that we'd gotten into and then she would throw the clothes right through the window into the into a sink um, where she had her um, washing machine and dryer and then she had a sink between them and so she had a window there and she would put our clothes in there and then march us straight into the bathroom and all three of us would fit in the tub and you know take our baths that's how small we were but yeah she would she would just hose us off down out outside i mean it was a it was a fair enough relationship as far as um a child is concerned and growing up that way you know it wasn't until um it wasn't until around um 10 11 12 years of age when um things got uh a little more um, emotionally aware for me, but the dynamics in the house got a little, um, or I, I recognized them or I was able to see them or sense them more at about that age, at about 10. Mm -hmm. What did you sense? Oh, the tension between my parents. I mean, it was... Um, really obvious and um you know one uh one parent asking uh you know putting their feelings onto um me anyway i don't know how they uh worked with uh, my other siblings but in in me in particular um you know essentially asking questions you know spying questions well what was happening and what happened there and what was this and what was that about and i'm like i don't want to be involved in your relationship you know what the hell i'm a kid and you know you don't need to lay this on me kind of thing and so that's kind of where i could feel um the the relationship coming off the rails at that point but that's the only time i was conscious of it yeah. Now, who, who, who knows? I mean, the relationship could have been um, falling apart a lot earlier. I don't. I don't it know. It often is before kids get aware of it. Sure. But I, I think the cognizant um, um, recognition of it didn't happen till. So how I was did, older? How did all that affect you at the time and later? Well, at the time, it really affected me. Um, and I've brought this up in group, but it really affected me because I didn't want to be responsible for somebody else's feelings. Because quite frankly, even as the adult I am today with all the journey I've been through to this point, being responsible for somebody else's feelings is an impossibility. Yeah how, yeah. how can I fix something that's wounded in somebody else? I have no authority there. And so it, it laid a kind of a foundation where I didn't want to have to be responsible for 
somebody else's feelings. And the way that ended up in future relationships was kind of a callous way of looking at, um, well, you did this to me. I didn't do anything to you. You, that's, you interpreted whatever I said in my, in my, and you took those feelings on for yourself. I didn't cause anything. Yeah. People are saying like, you made me feel. Something. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or didn't you know that would happen or that you would do that? So that's how that kind of crept in. And then um, the other part of my, you know, childhood, of course, you know, my mom's got eight other kids in the house or seven other kids in the house and everything that she's got to do grocery shopping. I mean, that was, that was like an every other day event and we would help her push the carts around because we would, end up pushing three carts worth of stuff because we had, you know, that many people to feed. Right. And, um, inevitably, inevitably without doing a head count, uh, before leaving the parking lot, uh, somebody would be left behind and usually me, uh, and probably because I was doing something wrong or being bad. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, anyway, I got, I would get left behind and then, they would call over the loudspeaker um, looking for my mom. And, uh, you know, eventually they'd either turn around and come back after they got home and unloaded the groceries like, oh, sh- we're short a kid. Yeah. Crap. And, you know, go back. But um, it started around that, that time period. And I remember um, I walked on to a baseball team that was practicing in uh, within earshot of our house. And I'm like, Ooh, that sounds interesting. So I climbed um, out of the backyard, got up, let myself out of the backyard and, and, and walked. And I came across this, uh, uh, this little league peewee league um, baseball team. And the coach was like, yeah, who are you? I said, well, I just live right here. Can I play? Can I play with you guys? And of course it was a league deal and you were supposed to be there according to uh, where you lived and there were lines that were drawn. But uh, this guy was um, all smiles and he said, hey, why don't you uh, just come and play with me? So playing with this team, I had to do that. And um, again, you know, how does this paint what's going to happen in the future? Um, I think this lays a lot of foundation where, you know, I, if I want something done, I'm going to have to do it myself. Um, And is it, is it just neglect? No, it's, it's, it's not intentional. It's just the size of the family at the time. And everybody in big families goes through this. Then we have um, this whole relationship factor and how that played into um, my childhood and interrupted my childhood. Yeah. And say more, about, say more about that, about what happened with your family and your parents. Uh, well, ultimately, ultimately this, this ended up leave, uh, this ended up with my dad leaving the house. 
Uh-huh. I mean, he walked out on on all of us. And um, so, how did, that, di- how did that affect you? Well, almost seamlessly, I I had to step into, or I was, I did step into the role of the man of the house. And my mom leaned into me pretty hard on well, with all of that. And culturally speaking, the firstborn son in uh, a Latino family, Hispanic family, or in our culture anyway, um, the firstborn son is the one that takes over. Um, that's just how it is. That was expected. And, yeah, that was expected. And so I was, uh, I was my mom's escort. I was my mom's, um, you know, um, you know, person to, to, to attend weddings with and to go to funerals with and to go out with and stuff like that. So that's, yeah. that's where that happened. And that developed all the way through until I, until I left for college. Yeah. Rafa, I have a question. Um, that relationship with your mom, where you were kind of like her surrogate in a way, right? I mean, you were really yes, definitely her surrogate, like a, like a husband. Um, how did that, unless I'm moving ahead here too far, how did that affect relationships with women or partners later? Well, um, affected them greatly. I mean, uh, relationships just um, were not anything that I was comfortable with at all. And it took, it was a huge dynamic to overcome and understand what relationship was. Mm-hmm. And I finally did learn what relationship was when I was um, much older and able to recognize what true surrender was, mm-hmm. what true forgiveness was. And those, both of those surrender and forgiveness of myself and that was the, that was a huge uh, turning point later on in life. Mm. But the foundations for all of that happened uh, back when I was fourteen. Mm. Wow! Yeah, that that is a long term kind of issue. That at the time it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I mean, you just absolutely in that culture, it was just your turn to take over, and and yet it had some long term effects on you, which I think as we move on into the interview, I'd like to hear more about that and how, uh, how that affected a lot of different things in your life and uh, how you had to, had to overcome that, that role that was put on you. Exactly. So uh, maybe that's a good place to stop for today and, uh, and uh, then move next time when we meet uh, again to into more about that and the long-term effects. And I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about how pride got in your way, because mm-hmm. I think that's a big issue for a lot of people and how, how you, how you worked through that. So in the next segment, let's talk some more about that. Yeah. And Barry, I just want to say that I think, you know, what Rafa is talking about has happened to many people. Absolutely. When, you know, when parents separate or divorce, or even if they don't, And one parent, you know, forms this tremendous attachment to one of the children. And it becomes almost like, as we said, a surrogate relationship. It does cause problems for that child later on in life. 
Yeah. So it's, it's, I mean, it, it's, and it's, it's great to hear that example because I think a lot of people don't want to look at that, right? They don't, they don't really, they, oh, but it was my parent. And so yeah. this really opens up the door to looking at that and seeing that, yeah, this is what happens when that happens. Okay. Well, let's sign off for today and uh, All right. we'll talk to you more next week. Thanks. I'm Patricia Raskin. I'm Barry Weinhold. Okay. See you all next week. Bye. This episode was brought to you by the Colorado Institute for Conflict Resolution and Creative Leadership. Find out more about these resources at wineholds.org. Dr. Weinhold is the author or co-author of 75 books on psychology, including his latest book, Get Real, The Hazards of Living Out of Your False Self, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and more. Patricia Raskin is the host of the nationally recognized program, The Patricia Raskin Positive Living Show, and is currently heard on voiceamerica.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and more. New episodes of Finding Hope, The End to Suffering can be found every Wednesday. If you like the show, please leave a review and give us a rating. 